been way more than a series the last few weeks that the Lord is speaking prophetically to our church. And so, if you re- those of you who have not heard it, well, even those of you who have, let me remind you, the Lord has been teaching us how to stand on His Word. The Lord spoke to me a few weeks ago. I was going to go in a certain direction, which one day will go there. It is That direction was still the Lord, just not the immediate destination. And the Lord said to me, teach the church, and I am the church too, right? So I'm learning with this. Amen. Teach. <laughs> that's right, Jenny. See, that's good. That's good. Quick learner. That's good. Woman of faith over here, actually. So... The Lord said, teach the church how to stand on my word. And if you remember, we looked at Matthew 13. It's our primary text that, we're, that the Lord is teaching us from, literally Jesus, right? And Jesus has been telling us about this parable about a farmer sowing seed, right? We, mo- most of us know the story. The farmer goes out to sow seed, and, and the farmer wants fruit, yes? The farmer does not sow seed so that there won't be fruit, right? Well, you know, sometimes I sow seed so that that person, that that field won't bear fruit, right? That doesn't make any sense, and that, but that's what people think about God, don't they? You know, God's a picker and a chooser. Sometimes it's His will, sometimes it's not. Well, you know, it's a matter of timing and stuff like that. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> it is so clear from Matthew 13 and the rest of Scripture, that God wants to get His will done in your life, that He has made promise after promise after promise to you, revealed to us in the Scriptures, and it is His will to get it done in your life. But there is a reason why many sometimes do not receive what God has for them. There is a reason why sometimes... God's will does not get done on the earth. Now, ultimately, His will will get done on the earth. But the question is whether or not you will get God's will done in your life. And Jesus teaches us why some people receive and some people don't. The parable of the farmer sowing the seed, he sows it into four different soils. If you remember, right? The first soil was hard soil. The second soil was uh, rocky soil. The third soil was thorny soil. And the fourth soil was good soil. Only one type of soil produced fruit. And that fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And so some people can produce 100 fold, just like Jesus. He'd be the model of 100 fold. Other Christians can produce 30, 60. That's good too. We celebrate that. Jesus is clearly teaching us how the kingdom of God works. How you can receive and produce fruit in your life. Let me say it a couple of different ways. The seed is the word of God. Very clear in Matthew 13. We've looked at that and I look at that again today. The seed is the Word of God. It is the powerful, life-changing, sure, faithful Word of God. It doesn't change. Every time the Word goes forth, it is the same. The only thing that changed in the parable is what? The soil. One word, four soils. Only one produced fruit. The parable is teaching us how the Word of God goes into our lives and produces fruit. The word, the seed is the word. Our hearts are the soil. And how do we receive the, the, the word or the seed? Through hearing, right? The word goes out, goes into our ears, goes into our hearts. And Jesus said it's based on the condition of your heart, basically faith, whether or not you will produce fruit. It's so painfully clear. 
That God wants to get His will done in your life. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to see His supernatural power produce fruit in your life. He wants to see on earth as it is in heaven, right? Right. Yeah. That's right, guys. I know you're tracking with me. But it's contingent on our hearts. It's contingent on our faith. And so the Lord has been teaching us My word will produce fruit in your life, right? Didn't God say in Isaiah 55, just like rain falls from the sky, waters the ground and produces crops, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return void. But did you know that lies that we believe, religious traditions that we have, did you know that wrong concepts of God that we have can literally nullify and make the word of God of no effect? How can that be? Why? Because... God's kingdom here on earth is not an issue of God being sovereign. It's an issue of human beings agreeing with God and seeing His will done on earth. He is sovereign. Amen. But whether or not God's will gets done in your life is up to you agreeing with God in faith. So, so many people have a human tradition. Well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen. Obviously, that's not what Jesus taught. Obviously, that's not what the Word of God teaches. And yet, we think that way, don't we? Well, if God is sovereign, He would just... Well, how come if God is sovereign, all these bad things... Human traditions nullify the Word of God. Make it of no effect. Mark chapter 7. Human traditions that make the Word of God of no effect. When you try to earn and strive for and work towards the promises of God, nullify. Make the Word of God of no effect. What the Lord is teaching us is that if you will take my word and hold on to it with faith and not let anyone or anything take away the word from your heart, it will produce fruit. This is what the Lord is teaching us. He's teaching us how to hold on to the word, how to stand on the word. Why? Because God's word has the power to change our lives if we'll let it. God himself, when he speaks the word, he backs his word with his power. Amen? When he, he spoke the world into existence, let there be light, there was light. When God says something, all of his power and all of his resources are backing that word. And so when he says to you, you are righteous in Christ because of what Jesus has done, his power backs that to produce the fruit of righteousness in your life if you will believe it and hold on to that promise until it produces fruit. But Jesus makes it very clear, a lot of people don't hold on to the word. A lot of people... Hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, but not us. Amen? The Lord wants to teach us how to be good soil. And in Romans chapter 4, we are learning, He shows us how to be good soil. Romans chapter 4, you're there, but I'm not. Sorry about that. Uh, Romans chapter 4, one of the key scriptures on what good soil looks like. Just to let you know, you can study that more in depth later. Because, and this is what we're going to talk about today, if you wanted a title, the Lord is talking to us about cultivating faith. The Lord wants to cultivate faith in us. How do we cultivate faith? And the Lord wants to show us today what faith is and what it's not. And sometimes you see what faith is and you say amen, and you see what faith is not and you say, ouch. Sometimes it happens, all right? So let's take a look at what faith is and what faith isn't, and let's let the Lord cultivate some things in us, and I feel like some more... There's some other prophetic things the Lord wants to speak to us as we look at this. Romans chapter 4, 
We're going to start in uh, verse 16 for the sake of uh, like the context, because it's good stuff. Therefore, it is of faith, referring to the promise, let's just say that, therefore, the promise is of faith, that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God who gives life to the dead and calls things which are not or which did not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, you don't have to be a rocket science to find out what the theme of the passage is. Did he say faith a million times or was that just me? Right? He starts off by saying the promise is by... um, uh, Back up. Where'd it go? Verse 14. No, verse 16. He says the promise is by faith that it might be by grace that's sure to all. He makes it very clear that God makes promises... Not based on our human efforts or goodness, but just by the grace of God. He loves us. He said it because He likes you. Because He loves you. And He wants to do it in your life. And He wouldn't have said it if He didn't. You know, He wouldn't even created you if He didn't like you. He made you because He loves you. He nailed Himself to a cross. I know you said, well, the Romans did it. No, He chose those nails because He loves you. And He spoke promises out of His mouth because He loves you. And it's all by His grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So what's the only thing that can receive grace? Faith. So He makes it very clear. It's by grace. It's by faith. But why? So it can be sure to all. Sure to all. Did you hear that? Sure to all. Sure to all the seed of Abraham. And He goes on and He's going to describe Abraham's faith. He is the father of our faith. He's literally the prototype of faith. So you look at Abraham, you see faith. So, 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 so uh, uh, Paul, who's writing this, is helping us to see into Abraham's faith. And we're going to focus in just on verses uh, 20 and 21, just for a moment, even though there's so many other things we could say. And so the father of our faith, listen to what it says. We're going to read 21 and 22 again, or 20 and 21, I'm sorry. He, or Abraham, did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Did you... In fact, look at, look at this. How, in verse 18, did Abraham become the father of many nations? Verse 18, how did he become a father of many nations? How did that happen? The dude was barren, right? He's a hundred years old. He's barren. I mean, come on. Him and his wife have been married for a long time. Doing husband and wifely things. No children. Okay? Sarah, barren, hundred years old. 
she's not just barren. There's something else that happens to women before they get to be a hundred years old, right? We're talking impossible, yes? How did he become a father of many nations? How is it that his body and his wife's body were supernaturally empowered by God, by God's grace, it's God's sovereign will, Dave, amen, how is it that God's sovereign will and the power of God went into operation to actually cause barrenness to turn into fruitfulness, death to turn to life, things that are not to become things that are? How did it happen? He says, who contrary to hope, in hope, so that he became the father of many nations. How did it happen? By Faith. And he's describing in verses 20 and 21 what faith is. What biblical, by biblical of course I mean true, real, authentic faith is. Do you see any thorns in verses 21 and 22? Do you see any rocks in verses 21 and tw- or 20 and 21? Do you see any hard soil? No, this is good soiled heart. It says that he didn't waver at the promise. It says that he was fully convinced. What was he fully convinced of? He was fully convinced that the one who promised it, meaning that God is faithful, he said it, he meant it, he's going to do it, he's faithful, he cannot lie. Amen? God is not a salesman that he can lie, right? Oh yeah, I forgot. We bo- Sanctification, brother. Saint Clint's mad at me. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. I'm joking around. Kingdom, kingdom salesman over here. Because you're like God. You're like God. You're like God. There it is. Holy. Holy like the Lord. A holy salesman like the Lord. Okay, so. I know I said a couple weeks ago I made a joke about a pinto and some, you know, my mic got mad at me. So I can't ever make jokes about pintos now either. <laughs> I have to choose a different one. I have to make jokes about mopeds now. Just joking, Sam. <laughs> so. All right, back to the word. Let's go back to the word. Okay. He says that he says that he was fully convinced that the one who promised it, meaning that he's absolutely faithful. What what else did he believe? That he was also able. So he believed. He came to a place. He came to a place. Well, let's just look at this. Waver. He did not waver. He came to a place in his life where he no longer wavered regarding the promise. Right? God said a promise to him. And he came to a place where he no longer wavered. What does that mean? Literally, he stopped arguing about it. Anyone argue in your head? Anyone say, but what if it doesn't happen? But maybe this, maybe that. Yet You ever feel divided a little bit? Yeah, I'm believing God, but what if it doesn't happen? And you got your plan B over here? Literally, the word means that you're divided, that you're in dispute, arguing about the promise with yourself, that literally there is a cleavage, a division. You're not whole yet. Abraham came to a place where he was no longer arguing about the promise inside, but literally fully convinced means he was, it literally means to be full or complete or satisfied. He literally came to a place where he was satisfied with just this. 
that the one who said it can and will do it. And that was enough for him. When something good soiled hearts are completely satisfied, he said it. There's no more argument. Yeah, but what about? But yeah, what about? Yeah, what about? He said it. I believe it. He will do it. Fully convinced. Fully convinced. No more wavering. Abraham came to a place. And I want you to understand something. Abraham and Sarah were empowered. The power of God went into operation to turn their barrenness to fruitfulness. And they had Isaac because what? They were fully convinced. This is faith. This is faith. I want you to understand something. That in our culture, one of the human traditions that makes the word of God of no effect is a human tradition that says, I believe God, when we don't. We have defined faith wrongly. We have not defined faith according to the Word of God. And you have people saying this. I can't believe it sometimes. They say, I believed God and it didn't happen. So what are you saying? That you did your part and God didn't do His? That's what they're saying, is it not? But I prayed. No, I believed. I believed. It didn't happen. What are you saying? That you did your part and God didn't do His? You're calling God a liar. You're calling God faithful. Unfaithful. Are you not? Let me tell you something. This is biblical faith. The person who receives the word on the rocks, they could say they have faith, didn't, don't they? Didn't Jesus say the person who receives the, uh, the word on the rocks, rocky soil, it says they receive it with what? Joy, which is good. We need to receive the word with joy and say, amen, hallelujah, woohoo. We need to receive the word with joy. But was that, was at the rocky soil, was their initial faith, was that enough to produce fruit? Hmm. There's something else going on, isn't there? See, people will say, I, I, this is hilarious, people say, well, my goodness, if, if a mustard seed of faith can move a, move a mountain, I must not have uh, even a mustard seed of faith. Wrong. It's not, the mustard seed has nothing to do with the size. It's talking about the quality. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, literally, same word, no wavering, no argument, no cleavage in your heart, a pure heart, fully convinced, satisfied, he said it, I believe it. Jesus said, it's when you believe in your heart and no doubt, and then speak to that mountain, then it'll move. He said, that's faith like a mustard seed. He's not talking about the size of your faith. He's talking about the quality of your faith. He's talking about undiluted, fully convinced, pure faith. And all you need is a mustard seed. That's what he's talking about. And that small amount of fully convinced will move mountains and cause impossibilities to bow and cause barrenness to turn to fruitfulness. Abraham and Sarah did not have a child until they got to a place of being fully convinced. And when they were fully convinced, Hebrews 11 talks about Sarah's side of it. She was fully convinced and believed that God was able to do what he had said. And when they believed, they had a kid. This is what faith looks like. And there's things in our hearts, aren't there? 
rocks, thorns, that are competing with that faith. Yes? That is why the Bible calls it the fight of faith. As I was meditating on Abraham, the Lord had spoke to me, meditating on Abraham, I was meditating on Abraham, looking through this, and the Lord spoke to me for us today. Because some of you might know the story of Abraham. Let me just run through it really quick. So he's like 75 years old and he's living in a country. uh, And the Lord speaks to him and says, come out of that country, leave your family, and I'm going to make your name great. Okay? Goes on and he says, I'm going to show you this a certain land and I'm going to bless you, make you a blessing. I want you to understand, he didn't tell Abraham where that land was. He did not really tell him specifically how he would have descendants or anything. He just said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. Abraham believed God. He Okay. Took God at face value, believed Him and obeyed. Faith takes action, right? The obedience that says, well, He said it, so I'll just do what He said. And He believed God. And you look at Abraham and you say, man, father of our faith, that is so cool. Yeah, Right? We'd probably barely even do that, right? Okay. But you know, Abraham really struggled a lot. Father of our faith. I mean, here's a, he's a man of God, right? Man of faith over here. I believe God spoke to me. I'm going to be, blessed, be a blessing, be a great nation. He ends up in Egypt, and he thinks to himself, he reasons in his natural mind, well, my wife is beautiful. If they find out she's my wife, she'll kill me, take my wife. Right? Hello? Didn't God make a promise to you, right? I'm not judging Abraham, but you see what I'm saying? God told you He's going to bless you. God told you He's going to make you a great nation. And here you are thinking, reasoning in your mind, well, I'm going to have to lie. I'm going to have to do something, right? See, he's still full of self-preservation. He's still full of, I've got to do it myself. He's still full of a bunch of junk inside of him that when he hits the trials and the tribulations and the tough times and the, I don't know what's going to happen, he shifts into mind gear, right? Instead of trusting the Lord, he shifts and starts figuring it out in his own human effort and his wife has to suffer and the women say, right? Another time, his wife does the same thing. She reasons to herself. Well, hey, you should just sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. And the wife say, dumb, right? I mean, they, they, they figure in their own human reasoning. Well, it's not happening, right? Well, something, right? We've got to make it happen. We've got to do it. God said it, so we've got to make it happen. No. And so they're trying to figure it out in their own human understanding. I'm convinced, fully convinced, I believe that Abraham and Sarah would have had their child sooner if it were not for some of those things. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a dynamic to the fact that there was timing involved. There are timing issues, you know. It takes time for a seed to grow into a tree to produce fruit. God got His glory that they were 100 years old. But the reality is, is that they kept trying to do some things in their own human effort and it shut some things down in their heart. And the reality is, is the Lord, for 25 years, He got the promise when He's 75, till 20, 25 years later, when He's 100 years old, that He got His son Isaac. It took 25 years. And what was God doing in those 25 years? Strengthening Abraham's faith. 
He was getting the rocks out and getting the thorns out and purifying Abraham's heart and cultivating in him what? Faith. Because there's only one thing that can receive the grace of God and allow the power of God to operate here on this earth. Faith. It's the only thing. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. This is Jesus we're talking about, right? He died so that we could have a good, better life. I don't mean just like, oh, so you can be blessed. I mean blessed and a blessing. Fulfill the calling of God in life. I came to give life and life to the fullest. Amen? He's trying. He came to set people free. He came to seek and to save. He came for that reason. And he's standing here and saying this. So there's a farmer. And he went out to sow seed. And it fell on four different soils. And only one produced fruit. The Savior, healer, deliverer, the one who came, anointed of the Lord to preach the gospel to the poor, to set captives free and open the eyes of the blind. And what is he saying? Well, anyway, so there's this farmer. What is Jesus trying to do? What am I doing? I'm trying to convince you that it's God's will to heal you, deliver you, And raise you up to a place where you will produce the fruit of the kingdom in impacting other people's lives and fulfill the calling of God on your life. I'm trying to convince you that it's His will. Why? Because I love you. But more than that, of course, the Lord loves you. But I want you to understand something. When God made a promise to Abraham, come out of your land, I will make you a great nation. God was not committed to Abraham's faith. I know this sounds a little weird. God was not committed to Abraham's faith. What was he committed to? Yeah? More than that. Abraham. I want you to understand something. That when God makes a promise to you, mm, this is good. When God makes a promise to you, He is committed to you. And He is committed to bringing it forth in your life. Do you see that in the life of Abraham, we have a man who had some issues going on in his life, who in some areas was good soil from the very beginning, a man of faith, and in some areas of his life still had rocks and thorns, and that is true for all of our lives. You might believe God in one area and struggle in another. You might be getting breakthrough in one area, but you're struggling in another area because we can have those soils kind of operating in our hearts. And here is a man that God made a promise to. And God committed Himself to that promise. And God committed Himself to that man. And to that woman, Sarah. He wasn't going to do it through any other woman. Because Abraham and, uh, and Sarah were one. And He made that promise to them. And He was making that promise saying, I have covenanted. I have promised. And I will bring, to f- bring forth what I have promised in your life. Doesn't it say in Philippians chapter 2 that God is working in you to what? Will and to do. He is the gardener. The Holy Spirit is pictured as a holy gardener cultivating faith in your heart. He knows what the rocks are. He knows where the thorns are. He knows where there's areas of hardness. And He knows where you don't believe Him. And He knows more than anyone else that if He, that he has to get you to a place where you have faith and you are fully convinced. Why? Because He is desperate to get His will done in your life and on this earth. He died so that nations would be discipled, be blessed, come to know Him. Amen? He died so that justice would come to the ends of the earth. Amen? He died for this. 
He is more committed to His will being done in your life and to the promises of God being fulfilled in your life than you are. And He is working in you to will and to do. Cultivating faith in you. Can you see that in Abraham's life? Can you see that? That He called him and He made a promise to him. And He wasn't going to give up on Abraham. Even when Abraham was a bonehead. And the women say, Amen. And even when... See what I'm saying? And He didn't give up on Abraham. You know, you think you blew it. You think you failed God. You think, well, I, mean, I don't have much faith. He believes in you. And He is working in you to cultivate that faith. And we need to partner with Him, don't we? What does Philippians 2 say? Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do. We have to come into agreement with the Lord and partner with Him and allow Him to cultivate that faith. What did Abraham do? He was strengthened in faith. Giving glory to God. Amen? We're going to talk about that. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He came into agreement with the Lord, even in the midst of His journey, even in the midst of His brokenness. And He came into agreement. See, even though He had thorns and rocks in His soil and such, ultimately Abraham was good, good soil. He allowed the Lord to work on those things. And he allowed God to cultivate that faith and he came into agreement to a place of being fully convinced. And I want you to understand something. God, let me say it differently. The power of God will not go into operation to release that promise in your life until you are fully convinced. Romans 4, 20, 21. To come to a place where you no longer waver at the promise, but you are fully convinced that what God said he is able to do. When you are at rest in that, the power of God is released to bring to fulfillment what God has said to you. It's good to know that. And it's good to know that God says this to you. And I am the one who is working in you to will and to do. I am the author of your faith. And I am the finisher of that same faith. And I will bring to completion what I started in you. My word has the power to perform what I say. And if you will... Take my word and hold on to my word and not let anyone take it from you. It will produce fruit by my power. Amen? Anyone here in the Lord? Amen. Yeah, anyone here in the Lord? Okay. So in Matthew 13, let's take a, take a moment to look just a little really quick at the rocks, the, I mean the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, to understand what the Lord needs to get out of our hearts. Does anyone want to be fully convinced? You want to be good soil? You want to see God have His glory on the earth? I do. I want to believe God. Do you want to know why? Because there's billions of lost people. Well, it's not even talking about the billions. How about just the thousands that are just right out there? You know what happens when you don't stand in faith on the Word of God for your life and your calling? You know what happens, right? Other people suffer, Right? This is not about selfishness. This is not about you. This is bigger than us, right? This is about the kingdom. This is about people who need Jesus. And so, <clears throat> that's one of those other, I just, I said that because that's one of those other human traditions that make the word of God of no effect. That somehow this faith thing is selfish. It'll shut you down, like, shut you down. That's how the Pharisees were, right? You, you remember that, don't you? This is hard soil. Let's talk about the hard soil. You remember that, right? Jesus is at church one Sunday. And the Pharisees are actually waiting for Jesus to heal somebody so that they can accuse him of healing on the Sabbath. 
That's funny, because in our culture, people don't even believe in healing. At least the Pharisees believed in healing. Jesus asked them a question. He, he, there's a man with a shriveled hand, arm, whatever. He says, step forward, and he says to him, he says, no, he says to the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to kill life or to save life? They don't say anything. Jesus was so happy about that. No, actually, you know what it says in Mark chapter 3? That he was angry and grieved at their hardness of heart. You want to know why? Selfish. Selfish. Absolutely selfish. They cared more about their rules and they cared more about their stupid theology that they had taken out of context than a man with a shriveled arm. How much more people who are going to hell? How much more people who are bound by demons? Literally, Jesus is furious at times when religious leaders care more about their human traditions than about people. Amen? That's one example of hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is pride and selfishness. Hardness of heart. A person can be sitting in church, literally hanging out with Jesus like the Pharisees. And because of their human traditions and religious concepts and Bible verses that they have, the Word of God can't get through even at all to the heart. The Bible calls them strongholds. Strongholds. People living in denial. Denial. So that literally, I could be preaching the Word of God and somebody's sitting there and they have their mental gymnastics and their self-denial and they just know how to just dodge the Word like that guy in Matrix. And somehow, the Word never even makes it in. They're the kind of people that... <laughs> they're the kind of people that they don't even remember what you preached on. Did you take the Word and go home and meditate it and think about it and pray it and get it into your heart and get it into your life? No. Because I thought it was just a sermon. I thought it was just a waste of time. Hard hearts. Then you say, hey, but didn't you hear that Word preached? And someone goes, huh? No transformation. And you'll find these people just stuck living in self-denial. You know, self-deception is one of the scariest things, is it not? James 1 James chapter 1 says, Receive the word of God with meekness, with humility. Open your heart. Let your heart be soft, tilled soil, and just receive the word of God. Don't. But he says, but a lot of people, he says, don't deceive yourself. Don't be a hearer only and not a doer. Deceiving yourself. Because a hearer only and not a doer, what are they? They're the person who goes, looks at their, in the mirror, looks, sees how beautiful they are, and then walks away and they say, oh, I can't even remember what my hair looked like. I can't remember what my eyes look like. Literally, a person who has a hard heart will hear the Word of God and forget it like that. I don't mean just forget what the sermon was about or the title or the scripture. I mean, won't even understand, no understanding of the reality of these things and how it could change their life if they would hold on to it. People who have hard hearts hate correction. They usually avoid church anyways. Right? Proverbs 1.17 Fear the Lord is a beginning of wisdom, but a fool hates correction, right? They don't want anyone to tell them what's going on in their life or what they need to change. No, 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 no. So either they avoid church or when they're at church, they put up that wall so nothing can get in. Hard. They hear the same word that everyone else does, don't they? 
nothing changes in their life. And there are areas in our life where we hear the Word and hear the Word and hear the Word and there's just no revelation because we're defending ourselves, really. We're justifying ourselves. We're making excuses. We're avoiding correction. We don't want that Word to pierce in. What do we need to do? Jesus said, unless you become like a child and humble yourself, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. Childlike, humble faith. What did James 1 say? Receive the Word of God with what? Meekness. A person who has a hard heart, even in any area of your life, to come before the Lord and humble yourself. I remember one time I was listening to a message and my scholarly Bible college-ness kicked in and I said, I don't know if that might not be in context and I don't know, can he do that with the Word of God? And the Holy Spirit chimed up and said, you can miss out if you want to. The Pharisees were scholars, were they not? And they had misinterpreted and taken the Word of God out of context. And they were hardened by their own Bible study. Horrible. I humbled myself before the Lord right there. Pause that tape. Rewind. Lord, I repent right now. I receive whatever you have for me. We'll figure out the details later. I just want you. Until you come to a place of desperation, humility, and repentance, and say, Lord, like a child, I want to receive. Now, I don't mean just being gullible, obviously. I mean when you hear the word preached. Rocky soil. Do you realize so many rocky and thorny people? That's the Christian who receives it with joy. You say, Amen. You say, That's good. I'm going to write that down. You receive a prophetic word from the Lord. You receive a good, encouraging word. And you, and you, you receive it and you put it in there. And then it'll just produce fruit and your life will be so wonderful and there'll be no trials or tribulations as a Christian. No, what does it say? How does he describe the, the rocky soil? He says, verse 20 of Matthew 13, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root. Where? In himself. I'm talking about the heart, isn't it? No root in him. In himself but endures only for a time. Why? For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Do you realize that everyone who has the seed in them will be persecuted and have tribulations? Everyone has the sun beating. Every, every seed has sun beating down on it. Every soil has the tribulations that Jesus is talking about. Why is it that some make it to be good fruit or, or good soil and produce fruit? has nothing to do with the trials and the tribulations. has nothing to do with the circumstances that you're going through. His word didn't change when you started going through trials. His word didn't change when there was a delay in the promise. His word didn't change. What's the problem? It's in yourself. Is it not? The problem is that we weren't prepared for the trials and tribulations. Why? He describes the soil as having shallow soil, lots of rocks, and the plant doesn't have enough roots. I'll tell you what it is. Number one, the person doesn't have enough of the Word in their life. You heard one sermon, one message, one thing, but you didn't take the Word and start meditating it and studying it and praying it and doing all that stuff, right? You kind of got like one aspect, but, but you didn't do what Clint said. You didn't get the whole story. And what happens is when you, don't, when you have more of you, and less of the Word, guess what happens? You stumble and fall. 
What are the rocks? They're unresolved issues in your life. Things that are going on inside of you that you have not reconciled with the Word of God. Lies that you believe about God, lies that you believe about yourself, past issues that you have not let go of, things where you have not allowed the forgiveness of Jesus to touch you, or things where you have not let go and forgiven other people. And those rocks, guess what happens? You hit them, you stub your toe, and it says you fall. The word he stumbles literally means to become offended. Offended. You stumble and you fall literally over your own issues that you have not brought to the Lord. What do we need? When we hear the promise of God, what do we need to do? You need more word. We need more word. We need more and more and more to flood our hearts with the word, to get that soil deep and to get those rocks out. How do you get the rocks out? Just being real and authentic before the Lord. When, that, when He tells you there's an issue, you confess it and deal with it. But I'll be honest, how do you know you even have lies about God? How do you even know you have issues? How do you even know that you have unresolved issues? I'll tell you how. The light of God's Word. Amen? I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on inside of me. I don't even know why I keep stumbling and falling. I'll tell you why. You just need more Word. Right? How do you find out? How do you know where there's a counterfeit? $100 bill. You look at the real thing. So the more you look at the real thing, the more you understand the counterfeit. So the more you just look into the word of truth, you see what God is like and you go, oh, I believed a lie as it passes you by. As you pass it by, I should say. So many people just focusing on the x-ray. I got a sickness right there. Got a sickness right there. Got a sickness right there. I'm meditating on the sickness. Meditating on the problem in my life. Meditating on my past. Yeah. Got a problem. Got a problem. Got a problem. Got a problem. Good. Yeah, we got a problem. Thank you. What's the solution? Amen? The Word of God. Get your eyes off the x-ray and start focusing on the cure. Go to the great physician. Hi, I, found, I have an x-ray. I need help. Amen? We need to get those roots deep into the soil of God's love. We get those roots deep into the truth of God's Word. We've got to go deep. Why? Because trials and tribulation will come. We'll talk probably more about this rocky part because we've got to learn how to hold on to the Word of God through those trials. But what happens? When you don't have, not dealt with the issues in your life, the word is not enough in your life, you stumble and fall. What does that mean? You become offended at God. You get mad at God. You get disappointed at God. Or mad and disappointed at other people. What happens when you're going through life and I'm believing God and you hit some sort of situation and you say, well, you know, God said, but my boss, but this, but that situation in my life, but that thing in my life, but that person... What happens when you go through hard times and you start looking at yourself? Yeah, but what about me? I got all these problems in my life. Right? What does that show? Shallow soil, no roots. Why? Because your faith is in you. Your faith is in that person. You're looking to them as your God, as your source. And you are bound to become disappointed. If your faith, if your hope and expectation is in anyone else, husbands and wives, hear me, you will be mad at them. You will become disappointed. Why? Because they're not God. And they didn't make the promise. And they're not going to make the promise come to pass. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're barren or not. Abraham and Sarah. Barren. Right? Well, now I'm mad at Hagar. Well, now I'm mad at this. And I'm mad at that. And I'm mad at this. And we went over here and we tried this and we tried that. And it's not working. And dude, you got to believe the word, right? And so... We stumble, we fall. So many believers, I'm telling you, I call it like a low-grade infection. We need literally like an offense vaccination in the church. There's this low-grade infection all throughout the church. Why is it that the church doesn't explode? Why is it that the people of God are just... Ah! Not, not our church, but just in general. Why? 
Because we're harboring offense towards God. We believe lies. We have these human traditions and we're ticked off at God or we're harboring this disappointment and so then it leads to hardness of heart where we don't want to let the word come back in again because I don't want to be disappointed again. Right? And the Lord's saying, shame, offense, lies, get off my people! And people rise up and bear fruit. That's what the Lord is trying to do. He's trying to break that stuff off of us, trying to get that rock stuff. What do you got to do? You got to get down and dirty. You got to get with the holy gardener and be like, Holy Spirit, I have no idea what to do here. Oh, hey, I'm a gardener. I got this covered, you know? Let's put, hey, hey, get your hands around those rocks. Let's talk about that issue from your past. Okay, you realize I, I love you? Yeah? Okay, there we go. Let's get that rock out of here. You know, hey, you got to forgive right there. Okay, let's get that rock out of there. Right? And then the trials and tribulations come, and you're ready to what? Be strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that what He said He's able to do. And you won't stumble and you won't fall. doesn't mean here when you stumble and fall that you'd fall away and you're never a Christian again, although that happens, doesn't it? We've all known people. They accept Jesus. Hallelujah. Woohoo! Something bad happens. I'm out of here. I'm done with Jesus. But that's not necessarily what it's talking about. It's talking about believers sitting in church right here who were offended at God. I had such a spirit of offense in my heart. And I was like Abraham. I'm believing God. I'm walking. I'm growing. And there were so many areas in my life where I was growing, but I had this offense towards God. Oh, and it would trip me up and it would produce death in my life so much. We don't have time for me to tell that, some of those stories today, but we'll probably talk about that more uh, another day. Where the Lord went in and He exposed those lies and I repented of that offense towards God. Oh, my goodness. Changed my life right there. I mean, I literally, it's a turning point in my whole life to see fruitfulness begin to produce in my life when I broke off that offense. I'll tell you more about it. Thorny soil, real quick. Cares of this world, anxiety, worry, fear. Just hand, just come on, let's be honest. Zap, you take away the word of God immediately, right? You're holding on to the word, I'm believing the word of God, and all of a sudden you go, oh no, oh no, what about this, what about that? Bam, there's the word. Gone, bye, choked, dead. Right? We've got to be people. What do you do? What do you do when you have anxiety, worry, fear? What do you need? You need to be transformed by the new mind. How do you do the word? More word. Funny how simple that is, isn't it? You flood your heart with the word of God and you start pushing out the double-mindedness, the doubts, the arguments. You stop arguing with yourself and you start getting into the word and you, the arguments are satisfied. The what-ifs are satisfied. And you say, no, he said it, I believe it, I'm fully convinced. Anxiety, worry, the cares of this, uh, the deceitfulness of riches. So many people, what does that mean? Looking to other sources. What did Jesus say? You can serve God or you can serve mammon, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. What do people do? They seek, first God, they seek God last, don't they? They run after everything else and they busy themselves. In another, uh, in another gospel, he says the pleasures of this life. The pleasures of this life. Just, you know, busying yourself with your job, trying to earn a lot of money, comfortability. Well, I got to watch my TV shows and I got to do this and I got to do that. And it's more about my comfort than it is about seeing God do something in my life. More about my comfort than it is about the kingdom of God and people and me producing fruit and seeing lives change. If you're about your comfort and your world, you're not going to see God make, have a breakthrough in your life. You're not. I'm sorry. There it is. Let's just have it out so you know why. When you're disappointed, then you know why. Amen? When you're, when you're disappointed with God, if you have rocks and if you have thorns, now you know why you're disappointed. Don't blame God. It's not being, well, it wasn't God's will. 
He didn't come through. Now I'm mad at God. Just be mad at yourself, okay? No, I'm joking around. Just take responsibility and recognize as long as you're looking to money to be your source of happiness or your victory, well, I've got to do, have this job or I've got to do this or whatever. As long as you busy yourself and you don't put the kingdom first in your life, those things will not be added unto you. But what happens when you say, you know, Lord, in the wilderness, in the midst of having nothing, I will still praise you. In the midst of the wilderness, I don't have anything, but I have you. I don't care if I get the promise. Because I have you. You're more important. I'd rather be in the wilderness with God than in the promised land without God. And when you can come to that place and you say, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to be faithful what you've given me. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to stand on your word. And I'm going to, I'm going to seek you. God, all these things be added unto you. But what happens? Those thorns and the word are in competition, are they not? You, come on. You can't be friends with God and friends with the world. The, the, the Bible says that. And yet we're trying to do those two things. And I'm telling you, the, the worldliness will just choke the word out. And you'll be a Christian going to church and you, you're like a green stalk. You look good. Ain't no fruit on you. People look at the fruit. I want some fruit. I'm hungry. And you're just, I'm a church going Christian. I look good and I'm a green stalk. No fruit. Why? A lot of thorns all over you. Choking the fruit out. And so we've got to get the word into our... Again, just the word, the word, the word. Spending time with the Lord. Seeking His face. Getting intimate with the Lord to allow Him deal with those rocks and deal with the thorns. Get down and dirty with the holy gardener and let Him cultivate faith. Good soil, pure heart in our lives. Amen? And what happens when you're fully convinced? The power of God. Take your barrenness to fruitfulness and cause you to produce fruit. And we want to be a church that produces much fruit. Amen? The Lord would call us to raise up a multitude of disciples and churches to impact this world. The Lord would call us to believe Him to see a harvest of people come to Jesus. Well, what's it going to take? Well, we said it once and we prayed about it once. No. It's going to take strengthening our faith, giving glory to God. What about the calling on your life? What about the things that you're believing God for? What's it going to take? You've got to hold on to that word. And the Lord is saying, I'm committed to you and I will cultivate that faith with you. Now partner with me. Let's get that stuff out. Let's cultivate faith. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's make some uh, declarations to the Lord here. Let's...